at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, welcome to episode 116 of the Bronx Beat Podcast, your podcast about the New York Yankees. My name is EJ Fagan, and tonight I am joined by Derek Alban. Hey, EJ. Hey, how's it going? It is going great, Derek, and the editor-in-chief of the Start Spreading the News blog, Dr. Paul Semedinger. <laughs> hey, EJ. Hey, EJ. Hey, Derek. How are you? you know, I'm excited to have uh, Dominic back on and maybe like keep Derek on so I can be like Derek of Bronx Beat, Paul of, but you know. That's that 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 those are the times that we are in. I want to tell all of our readers that the transition has not yet happened in terms of where the podcast is. We're just waiting on other people uh, on the technical back end there. I will before we transition so that you may have to change your podcast feed so the podcast is located at, B- at baseball prospectus. You will I will put out something on this feed. I do not I do not know when that's going to happen. It will likely happen after a weekend at some point because it's going to require a lot of a little bit of legwork on my part. Um, so I thank Paul for being very patient with us, and I thank all of you uh, for having to, for eventually having to, to maybe switch your iTunes destination one more time. It is coming. I just don't know when. Uh, but for now, we're going to talk about some actual baseball. We got some news. Uh, Joe, uh, Brian Cashman gave a very interesting press conference. Paul, can you tell us about that press conference? Absolutely. Cashman talked about why they dismissed Girardi. And so we have a couple of quotes here. Cashman said the area of concern was Girardi's ability to fully engage, communicate, and connect with the player personnel. In other words, that he wasn't engaging, communicating, or connecting the right way. And uh, Cashman followed that up by saying, that's a tough hurdle for someone who's been in that particular position as manager for 10 years. So, you know, you want to look at those words. It seems to be that Girardi stopped being that player-centric manager, and he wasn't able to communicate wasn't able to engage, and uh, it wasn't connecting with the players. Now, that seems to indicate that the challenge in the Game 2 of the uh, playoffs was not an issue in his firing. Of course, there was another situation that happened during the playoffs. Our oldest Chapman did like an Instagram post that urged the Yankees not to bring back Girardi, <laughs> um, said it was an accident. But that could be an example of how Girardi wasn't connecting with his players. One other quote from Cashman, they said, well, what if you had made it to the World Series? And Cashman said, it's tough (laughs) to put the hypothetical in there. We went where we went. So it seems as though the decision was made already, um, no matter how far they were going to go, that Girardi wasn't coming back. Derek, what what does the word communicate mean here? You know, it's hard to say. Uh, We don't really know what's going on in the clubhouse from our from our vantage point at all, um, all we can really tell is what Girardi, how he communicates to the media. And in, in general, um, I think he's come off as, you know, a little bit rigid, I guess, or maybe a little bit difficult to, you know, get answers from in the media, especially at least when he started. I thought he got better, especially with handling the media as his time as manager went on. But as it comes as it comes down to the players and his involvement with them, I don't think we really can know. I mean, we, we kind of just have to take 
people's word on that, whether it's Cashman's or Girardi's, and obviously they don't seem to, to agree on that. Yeah, I mean, to deconstruct it a little bit, like I feel like there are two types of communication that are interesting here, right? So one might be Girardi to player, where Girardi is maybe, you know, someone like us, Gary Sanchez is struggling and Girardi doesn't do a good job of finding ways to help that player not struggle or make some decision and doesn't, you know, tell the player why he made the decision and that doesn't make the player very happy or just like generally not bonding with, you know, at this point, players who are much younger than him. And I think the, the second one is, I mean, that, that the second one is the front office to Girardi to player, like as a essentially uh, Joe Girardi isn't, isn't communicating what we want him to communicate is also kind of a way that I read that. Um, like I wouldn't be shocked if Girardi, who you know, we, we talked about this what two episodes ago, and we said that Girardi was a pretty good manager in two thousand and eight, or maybe maybe even a very good manager in two thousand and eight, but is now like a not as good, but still pretty okay in twenty seventeen. And it may be that there's a lot of kind of newfangled stuff that the front office knows, and the Yankee front office is very analytical, and Girardi wasn't making that happen in the clubhouse. And maybe wasn't getting the players on board for making that happen, or, or something like that. To me, that's this, that second one seems it just seems more plausible to me. Like I, up until Girardi, until he was fired, I had no idea that Girardi was like on the outs with players at all. Like I thought Girardi was a widely respected veteran major league manager. So you know what else is interesting too that you bring up the point about his interactions with the front office. I think it was Mark Feinstein who might have mentioned this in a tweet or an, or a post or in a column he wrote. Um, but apparently one of the players that he had an example of that he had a rift with between the front office and Girardi was um, Girardi was very anti-Chris Carter when he was slumping and the front office analytics side was like, no, he's going to snap out of it, you know, play him. And eventually Girardi won that battle. But I think that's one of the examples. Um, and that's a minor battle probably compared to some of the other things that went on. But I think that's one uh, good example of the type of um, – fracture, I guess. That could be true. Of course, uh, with Girardi winning that, I don't think anybody wanted to see uh, Chris Carter get any more at-bats. So for for Brian Cashman to rest his uh, laurels on that one, saying, oh, he didn't listen to us on Chris Carter, that's a tough one to hang your hat on. I mean, the thing is, I mean, that was a bad situation for the Yankees overall. Like, the the front office didn't have – like, Girardi didn't have good solutions either. Um, so part of me kind of wonders whether whether the Yankees would have been better off, at least in the regular season, uh, of kind of playing Chris Carter because they put some real horrible players out there for a while and really just got nothing out of first base and DH in the second half of the season. Um, so it's an interesting it's an interesting thought. Like logic tells me that Chris Carter was primed for a twenty home run month at some point because he always does it. Um, but you know, as we as we said in this podcast, like the problem with Chris Carter is it's impossible to tell whether he's uh, failing right. or whether he just hasn't yet succeeded. And and because he's such a, he's such a rare event player, like he depends on forty at bats every year going well. And if instead of forty at bats go really well, you know, twenty five of them go really well, he goes from being a pretty decent above average player to being a below replacement level player. And the, and a, a player like like Chris Carter. You know, you, you just don't you don't know when those rare events are coming, or if they will come, or if they're not coming because of random chance, or if they're not coming because he's just not playing very well. Um, and there's just really no way to surmise that. So I kind of get what Cashman was going with, but I also kind of get what Girardi was going with. It's interesting there. Um, but I want to move on. We've talked about Girardi a lot. That's the past. He is gone. 
I hope that I hope he goes on to a very nice career with Miami Marlins. Um, I Paul has written a little bit about um, about potential replacements, and we got a little bit of news about the, those one of those potential replacements today. So, Paul, um, first, why don't you tell me a little bit about about the news today, the real hard news, and then tell me a little more about kind of all those other oh my rumored goodness, names we that, that spend the next hour next talking about energy. all of the rumored names. Uh, Rob Thompson was uh, interviewed today. Uh, I don't know how it went. Um, does anybody have a follow up on how on, on how the interview went? <laughs> <laughs> As far as I know, no. So, so we don't know how it went. Um, but Rob Thompson is, what, probably the most most likely internal candidate, we could probably say, Spotted. especially now with, uh, uh, what's his name, going yeah. over to the, uh, Joe Spada going over to the to the uh, Astros? Could be. I think the other strong internal candidate still is uh, Tony Pena. I just have this sense, and, and I did write about this, that Tony Pena has managerial experience. Thompson doesn't. And Tony Pena was a catcher. And I argue that the Yankees' biggest asset, who's also a big question mark, is Gary Sanchez. I think we know what many of these other players bring to the table. Um, and I think they need someone who's going to be able to connect with Gary Sanchez to take him from being an elite hitter who's a catcher who could become pretty good or very good to um, being that catcher who is great or going the other way. And I don't think they felt that Girardi was the guy who was going to push Sanchez in the right direction. I think that's another reason, even though they never mentioned that, I think that's another reason he's gone. All right. So let's talk about some of these other rumored names. Um, oh Paul. my goodness. Uh, you've seen every name in the world, right? Bonyes. <laughs> you've seen uh, Jerry Hairston, um, Brad Golden, um, uh, Brad Ausmus. Uh, my goodness. It's, there's, there's so many different guys. Uh, Jay Bell, I think has been named. So let, let me let me let's let's narrow it down a little bit. So we have um, a couple of names that are rumored, and then there are a couple of people who have essentially declared that they are available. Um, so rumored, I think Jerry Hairston seems to be the strongest rumor at this point. The, the, the rumor that there's been several different whispers of Jerry Hairston. Uh, so what do you guys think about Hairston as a potential managerial candidate? He was not somebody whom we discussed, or was really like in the discussion in in the global discussion. Uh, a couple of weeks ago before this. As far, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, right. As far as I know about Harrison is he's been working TV uh, in LA for the Dodgers over the past uh, couple of years. Um, and obviously he has a connection to the 09 Yankee team, but he'd be a brand new manager has no coaching experience that I, I'm aware of. At least I, I think he would essentially be just kind of parachuting in from his, uh, his job out in LA. I have the same exact feeling. Yeah. Um, I, I'm very concerned if the Yankees' direction is they think they're setting a new trend by bringing in a young manager who has no managerial experience. That seems to be the trend that a lot of teams are following, and the Yankees are just going to—they're only going to be followers if they do that. They're not going to really be setting any new trend. And if you want, we could spend a couple of moments. It's this idea that the Yankees have never ever brought in a young manager with no managerial experience isn't something new. It's something they've been doing basically since their inception, on and off over the years. So, yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about that. So the, um, I think I think this was a Scott podcast. Scott and I were talking about kind of how we evaluate these, and part of the problem is that you know there there are likely lurking out there some number of essentially like you know former players who are like prime managerial candidates. And I have no way of knowing like who the good ones are, who the bad ones are. Teams probably have some way of knowing that, right? They, they might know that Jerry Harrison Jr. or someone else is the genius 
you know, next great manager. And, 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 you know, we, there's lots of those guys have been hired, right? So Kevin Cash is probably the best example of this down in, down in Tampa where Kevin Cash was in, in high demand and was hired. Dave Roberts is another example. Gabe Kapler, who just got, he just got hired by someone, right? He got hired by the Phillies. Yeah. Um, was another guy who kind of floating out, floating out there. Alex Cora, although he was a bench coach, was a guy in that, in that, on that list. And so, though, like those players, there, there, there exist some players out there, and maybe Jerry Harrison is one of them. I am generally a, an experienced person. I don't like the idea of making giving somebody's first job that's not as a player, uh, you know, making them a manager. Like that, that to me is concerns me a little bit. And I think that Jerry Harrison should be a bench coach before he's a manager, um, or or just something, even if it's like a special assistant to the Dodgers, like something that's not broadcasting. I think is important. Um, but my, my that's test number. Like, so I have no way of evaluating that. I don't like the idea. And there's a couple more names we're going to talk about here of someone with no, no, no real experience, but has a connection to the Yankees. If I, if, if you told me that they're bringing in somebody with no real experience, who I've never heard of before, or who's never, who's never, you know, doesn't, has never met Brian Cashman before. I am cool with that. Right. I say, okay, I trust the process and I trust that that's going to be a good manager. Jerry Harrison rings some alarm bells for me, though, right? He's a baseball guy. He's a guy whose father played the game. He's a guy who has never managed before. He's a recent retired player. He was a Yankee. He won a World Series with the Yankees. Those are not those are not good things. Like the the only thing that would be worse is if he were a star player, um, who we'll talk about, or he was a Yankee broadcaster, who we'll talk about. I I do not like this idea of. You know, some this person has to have a connection to the Yankees. I agree with you 100%. I, I don't like the idea of a guy becoming the manager of a team that was one win away from going to the World Series and this great young core uh, who's never managed a team before. I just think it's a lot of responsibility to throw on somebody who's who's never had that uh, responsibility at any, at any level. And to add to the pressure dealing with the New York media, it's just something different than than in any other city or in any other experience. And who's to say they're going to be able to deflect the media from the players? There's a lot that could go wrong if you bring in the wrong guy. And if you bring in a guy who's never done it before, you're taking a huge risk. <laughs> All right, next news story. John Flaherty has told his agent that he would love the job and is available. Uh, Derek, what do you think about John Flaherty as the next Yankees manager? Uh, I mean, on the plus side, you wouldn't have to hear him on yes anymore because he just puts me to sleep. I mean, he is really boring on yes, I got to be honest. Seems like a nice guy, you know. I mean, nothing against him personally. I just, it's just not a fit. I mean, it's it's a little bit like the Harrison thing where you've seen him on TV, but he hasn't done any coaching or managing, um, you know, professionally and, other than that, I mean, and we know he's a catcher. I mean, I guess that perhaps is a plus in some people's books, but and he's got the Yankee connection as you were just talking about. That not not necessarily is a great thing per se. I don't know. He just he's doesn't really match for a long time too. Right, that is well. Twelve. He's been out of the game for twelve years. The game was different in two thousand five. Completely different. And I I have heard no evidence on the on air that he is. Uh, you know, someone who is who is really up with the modern right. game of analytics. Right. Yeah, he's not he's not an analytical guy as far as we're aware. So I'm reading John Heyman's description right here, uh, and this is the case that John Heyman writes down. Uh, he's a Yankee broadcaster. He's currently with the Yes Network. He has an interest in managing. He was a catcher. He has a good rapport with management. And I just love how this is written here. He has a degree from George Washington <laughs> University. Well, there you go. 
look, George, great school. Would love, look, if they're hiring and they would love a political scientist, would love to work at George Washington University, almost did my PhD there. It's it's not a, it's not like it's a degree from Princeton, you know. He's not an, he's not uh, you know uh, you know Ross Ollendorf with an engineering degree yeah. from Princeton. Like no, it's a degree, it's a degree from Washington, George Washington University. Okay, um, so that's I, I'm trying not to be elitist there because it's a very nice university, but uh, does not seem to be relevant uh, to this conversation. Yeah, maybe maybe we should call uh, up Ross Ollendorf. <laughs> I would you know, I get, that's one of those names where I would be like, I like it. I'm good with that. But I think I think you could hire him to be a minor league manager first, yeah. uh, personally. Um, so all right, so uh, Alex Rodriguez, uh, when uh, when Brian Cashman was asked, uh, would you consider Alex Rodriguez? His response was, "I'm not going to comment." Uh, Paul, what do you think about that? <laughs> you know, Babe Ruth had one big regret in his life, and it was that he never had an opportunity to manage in the major leagues and especially manage the Yankees. And he thought when he was uh, winding his career down that he'd eventually get that opportunity. And I believe it was Jacob Rupert, but if it wasn't him, it was somebody who said he can't manage the Yankees because he can't manage himself. And, I, I you know, during his career, we saw so many things, so many mistakes that A-Rod made day in and day out, the media firestorms. I, I don't, I, to me, that would be bringing back the days of Billy Martin and chaos and, and all that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't want the Yankees on the back page of the tabloid for reasons that A-Rod did something silly or he took his shirt off in Central Park or he has a picture with a centaur or, or, or anything else like that or he's, you know, with some girl in a hotel in Toronto or he's doing something with J-Lo or whatever it is. A-Rod is not the name to be the manager of the Yankees, not at this time. A-Rod sued the Yankees two years ago. I, I, and I get that, like, that Hal Steinbrenner asked him to sign on and they wanted him to kind of remain with the club and he's kind of made peace with that. But, like, this was not that long. Like, what, what did Brian, Ca- Brian Cashman, like, cursed on air or something about A-Rod not that long ago. I think that if A-Rod is signed as the manager, that Brian Cashman would leave. And I think Brian Cashman is so much more important to this organization than Alex Rodriguez that I wouldn't – I do not want Alex Rodriguez as, as the manager. Um, and it's, I think it's clear that he wants it. I think it's clear that he thought Girardi was leaving a month ago. And uh, we talked about this in the podcast already, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into it, but, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, Brian Cashman didn't deny it, but I think that if he had denied it, then he would have had to say yes or no, or like no or no comment to a lot of questions and which is why. Well, Cashman's a smart man. Um, yeah, I, um, so those are the names that I think have had any kind of, I guess, substantial rumor. I mean, Rural Banya, as we already mentioned, um, but there's really no, there's really no, no, nothing really there or there at the moment. Um, uh, Joe Girardi uh, asked if he considered a, consider, I'm sorry, Joe Torrey asked if he consider a comeback, said only if I can manage the day games, uh, just manage the day games. Uh, so that's not happening. Uh, it, uh, we're still, so we're still waiting on that news, but we had another really interesting piece of news this week. Uh, Derek, tell me about Masahiro Tanaka. Yes, yeah, so uh, last on past Friday, the news we've been waiting for to hear about, uh, Masahiro Tanaka opt out, and fortunately for us, or fortunately we didn't have to wait to the very last minute. He had until Saturday to announce his decision, but Friday uh, evening it was announced by the Yankees that he would not be opting out of his contract, so he will remain in the Bronx for the next three years, and he has $67 million more million coming to him. Uh, coming off a really nice postseason despite a slow start to the regular season. 
Um, and it just sounds like he wanted to stay here and that some other rumors have been that, you know, perhaps he was concerned about what might show up on an MRI should another team want to check out, <laughs> check him out with a physical, uh, before signing him. So I, I suppose, you know, the, the risk just outweighed the potential gain. He could have, uh, he could have fetched from another team. Creation. Paul surprised, not surprised, happy, not happy. All right. So yes, surprised. Um, and thrilled. I'm very, very happy. I'm, I wanted him back. I'm glad he's back. And you know what? I, I don't keep statistics on this. I, I really wish I would, and I don't think any of us have really the time. But I think the general sense before he opted to not opt out was that everybody was afraid that he was going to opt out and that he was going to command a longer contract, maybe five years. And it might be lower per year, but he'd be able to leverage that maybe five years, 20 million a year, and that he was going to get more money uh, to leave the Yankees. That was the general sense, especially considering his second half and the postseason and the fact that he's entering his prime years. Then all of a sudden he comes back and the narrative becomes from some, well, he knew he wouldn't be able to get a lot more money and maybe he is her, et cetera, et cetera. I I just think that um, sometimes people look to the negative rather than the positive. My sense is he uh, felt like he wanted to stay in the Bronx, and maybe I'm just looking at it with – you know, happy eyes or whatever, but it just seems that way. And, and that has happened in the past. I mean, I think Paul O'Neill turned down a bigger offer one year to stick with the Yankees. I think Ken Griffey Jr. did that to stay with the Reds at one point. There is There, there does come a point when enough money is enough money, and $67 million over three years is a heck of a lot of money. And it just seems like to me, or, or at least I'm hoping, that he wanted to stay because he sees that he has a job here to do and it's not over yet. So I'm thrilled he's back, and I'm, I, I'm, predict, I'm predicting a big 2018. Yeah, I mean, my reaction here was that was kind of similar. I mean, the, the problem with an opt-out is that pretty much whatever happens, whatever the player chooses in the opt-out is probably bad for the team. Um, so I, I, I think I was, I was probably the low guy on the opt-out, um, at least among the Yankee, you know, Yankees chattering classes that I've seen, where I said, like, I, I don't think he's, he might not opt out. Like, this isn't a certainty because I, you know, I'm not sure how good he actually is. And the way we talked about in the podcast, like, last week was – you know, there's probably some greater fool out there, and someone is probably going to commit more than three years, sixty-seven million dollars to Tanaka. Um, but it might only be one or two teams. But it only takes one or two teams. And I wouldn't be sho- I wouldn't be shocked if Tanaka said, you know, maybe I get a hundred million dollar contract out of this for an extra two years of commitment, and maybe that's a good financial decision. But I have no control over who that team's going to be. Um, and you know there aren't that many teams out there that might be even will, be willing to go, you know, give my elbow what the Yankees what I already have with the Yankees. So you know the devil I know is is you know, better than the devil I don't know. I'm going with the Yankees, and to me that that seems plausible. I also think that it's also plausible that major league teams are smart enough now, and his agent knows this that Tanaka just isn't that good. Like he's good. I think he's a 3.77 ERA player. Dakota thinks he's a 3.77 ERA player. Statcast thinks he's a 3.77 ERA player. Other than like month and a half in the middle of the season, that's what he's looked like. That's what he looked like last year. That's Tanaka. And I think that's great. I think that he's a great second or third starter. I think it's great that he has kind of the extra gear that he kind of went into in the playoffs. And maybe the Yankees get lucky and they get that for a full season and he wins a Cy Young. Or 
He's just a 3.77 ERA player who might have some injury issues, and I'm fine with that at three years, $67 million. Yeah, the contract for the money for three years and through 67 for the type of pitcher he is is really a steal. I mean, if you think about some of the contracts that pitchers who are inferior to him that have gotten recently, I mean, like Ian Kennedy pops to mind right away. I think he got like five for 85 mm. a year or two ago, and coincidentally, he just opt- he decided not to opt out of his contract. Did you see his quote about that? I did not know. What did he say? So, so someone asked him, so so why are you not opting out of your contract? And he said, because I'm not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that makes a lot of sense. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, Kennedy had a bad year. That opt-out is, is, is hurting the team. Um, I, you know, I think the big lesson of, of, this, of, the, the, of, of the Tanaka saga here is that opt-outs are always bad for the team and don't give them out cheap. And I think there was a period of time in time where the Yankees, especially, were giving out cheap opt-outs. Um, for example, to to A Rod, and they really got killed for those cheap opt-outs. And uh, or to Sabathia is probably the better example. And you know, it's, it's people. I saw people at the time, not that long ago, with I think the incredibly dumb opinion. I apologize if anyone listening or either of you had this opinion that. An opt-out favors the team because you don't want this player on a long-term contract. That's so stupid. You want the upside, and you're going to get the downside either way. And if Tanaka had won a Cy Young Award this season, he'd be gone, and that opt-out would have harmed the Yankees. And it's kind of the best-case scenario that Tanaka had a really good postseason and wasn't all that good during the regular season. So the Yankees kind of got the benefit of the opt-out and almost got to the World Series as a result uh, because Tanaka was good. Um, but he wasn't good enough to opt out, so they still get the next three years. Um, but like any any case that either to either extreme, that he it's either if it's a clear decision to to opt out or not to opt out, the club, the Yankees are the real loser there. And I it looks like teams have finally priced in opt outs correctly. And I hope the Yankees. You know, you know what else I'm I'm happy about too is that the the alternatives Tanaka in the free agent market. And now I'll just assume. I mean, I don't think the Yankees were going to try to replace him with like Darvish or Arietta, but the next tier of guys that are a notch, you know, maybe a notch below Tanaka or so, or like the Alex Cobb, um, Lance Lynn's of the world. And those guys, if those guys are replacing Tanaka, uh, just w- would not have, you know, left a good taste in their mouth, I think. I agree. Um, I want to move on though to the 40 man roster. So the Yankees have added two players to the 40 man roster. They added outfielder Jake Cave and relief pitcher Nick Rumbelow. Uh, Derek, are you surprised by – okay, so we should say they, they were added now, even though the Rule 5 draft isn't for a couple more weeks, because they were set to become minor league free agents if they weren't added to the 40-man roster. Um, presumably, they will be sticking on for the entire offseason, um, though I think Rumbelow is an interesting case here. So, Derek, were you surprised by either of these, and do you think that they were the right move? Uh, not not surprised by Cave. Cave had a really solid year, um, kind of – rebounding um, as a prospect a bit, especially after he was exposed previously in the Rule 5 draft and the Reds picked him. Um, He had a really solid year in Scranton. His power kind of exploded. Um, But as for Rumble, was more of the kind of a shocker. He was, you know, he's a relief pitcher prospect. Nothing, you know, too, too special. And he also missed a full season because of Tommy John surgery. And granted, he it seems like he re- rebounded pretty well when he returned to, um, to action this season. But that being said, I mean, he's a 26-year-old relief pitcher. Um, you know, had a cup of coffee with the Yankees a couple of years back. Uh, I, I guess just what they saw, they were just kind of 
blown away, and I guess maybe they thought another team might nab him in the Rule 5 draft and try to stick him in their bullpen for the entire year. But I was definitely uh, caught off guard by Rumble. Not, not so much Cave. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how to think about this because I look at the Rule 5 situation, the 40-man the, the and Rule 5 situation, and there was a bloodbath coming. Like the Yankees, and I'll, I can read off some of the names. We talked about this a few months ago. It's not good. It's really not good. And Rumble had a really good season, right? 40 innings, 1.12 ERA, you know, 10 strikeouts per nine, two and a half walks per nine, zero home runs allowed. This was a triple A and double A. Like he's, he's clearly ready to be a major league player, but so are like 15 other relief pitchers, many of whom are currently on the 40-man roster. And the 40-man roster was a mess this season because the Yankees devoted way too much of it to disposable relief pitchers who were good enough to be in the 40-man roster, but not good enough to be trusted, maybe by Joe Girardi. Uh, maybe that's part of the communication issue. Um, and and as a result, you basically just had a lot. You, you had a team that was clogged up in all the wrong places. And Rumbelow seems disposable to me. At the same time, the Yankees have let way too many good relief pitching go, good pitchers go to other places. Like half of the Cleveland bullpen were Yankee castoffs, and they were really good, right? Tyler, not Tyler, who's the lefty? Um, in the Cleveland bullpen, whatever. What, there's a lefty in the, t- the Cleveland bullpen. There's Nick Goody in the Cleveland bullpen. I mean, the Yankees, the Yankees need to like to fish or cut bait on some of these guys, and they cut bait on guys who ended up being really good. Goody had like a zero ERA in like thirty major league innings, or something. Like that. Maybe even you know in the past. I mean, they they, they lost Tommy Canley. They've lost uh, you know that maybe they're feeling a little bit uh, cautious after things happening with that in the past too. Yeah, there, there's a there's a a real bottleneck on the forty man roster. And the Yankees have tons of guys at AAA that, that had this problem. In fact, as, as we talked about in August, I think one of the reasons why you saw so many prospects traded in July is that a ton of them were going to be 40-man eligible. And the Yankees were going to have to make space for way more players than they would have to make space for, which means either trading guys you know, on, on the low in the offseason or just putting them through waivers. And I think Rumble is that example. That's, that said... There's a trade-off here. The Yankees have 38 players currently on their 40-man roster. That does not include CeCe Sabathia. It does not include Matt Holliday. Those guys can wait. Um, eventually, you're going to have to replace those players in the, players in the roster, but you don't right away. Um, and so, you know, and if they don't cut people, and they're going to have to cut people, and they're going to cut people, um, but you have to fill all of these names. You have to protect Domingo Acevedo. You have to protect Albert Abreu. They're both really good, very strong prospects. You have to protect Firo Estrada, I think. He's a rule five. He's rule five eligible. I think he's really good. I think he's 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 you know a very. I think, he, I think he's too good not to protect and will be snatched up in an instant by any team looking for players. And you have all these other players. You have Billy McKinney, right? You, who's having a great season and I think could be your your backup first baseman next year. You have Daniel Camarino, who I think is an underrated starting pitcher. You have Michael Ford, who I've been yelling about all all, all year. J.P. Firestone, Stephen Tarpley. I. Don't think Labor Torres is eligible, but you might have to protect Labor Torres. There's just there. There is a lot of guys that you need to add here, and I'm not sure that Nick Rumbelow I'd rather have than some of these guys on the, on the list. And maybe you know, maybe there's like you hear a lot about like strategic waivers, like we're going to put him through waivers at this point in time, not at this point in time, because maybe he'll get through, and maybe that's what happens with some of these guys. But God, I'm not I'm not crazy about this. Yeah, I, I mean, is Rumbelow any different than you know Jonathan Holder? or Gio Gallegos or Ben oh, Heller. Not. I mean, those are three guys that come to mind that are, you know, who pitch well at AAA as relief pitchers. I mean, how much different, you know, could they be than Rumbelow? 
No, I agree. And I don't think you're DFAing any of those guys. They might have to. They um, might have they're to. All, they're all pretty good. It's tight on the roster. I, I mean, I, I think you have to start trading guys, right? Yeah. You have to say, look, you know, we're, we're going to trade him for a low-A guy. Is it possible that they put him on the 40-man just to trade him? Not, I don't think you have to do that, but is it possible that they're afraid they're going to lose him uh, in the draft and maybe they know if they have him on the 40-man roster that, that they can trade him? Maybe they put him on there just yeah, it's interesting. to do that. That's an interesting question. Um, my sense is that – so he, he would be a minor league free agent otherwise. Right. So – that would be you would have to put him on the forty man roster just to buy time, um, but it, it wouldn't. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe Cave could be a guy. I mean, the Yankees have a ton of outfielders in the upper levels right now. I mean, Cave could be a guy that you know you could put into a trade after the Rule Five draft comes and goes, and maybe they just you know think they can get something for him at some point this off season, or if he's just you know in addition to you know throw into another a larger trade. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they, there's definitely a, a glut, and they are definitely going to get rated in the Rule Five draft um, uh, in a couple, you know, at the end of the winter meetings, I should say. Yeah, Cave. I I think Cave seems like more of a trade candidate to me than Rumbelow, because just because like Rumbelow, like relievers are a dime a dozen. You know, really good at AAA, probably have has a major league future, but you know, may have a major league future as the seventh man out of the bullpen, not the third. And maybe he's the third too. That's also possible. But you know, I don't. I don't think you get a lot from him there for him. Cave is interesting. Cave really had a great season. Uh, I mean, he was Rule Five pick the year before this. Um, so it would not shock me if if Cave is that guy. And I think I think Paul's instincts there are right that you know you're buying time to to kind of to, to to move him right there. I also don't see Cave's role on next year's team. Right, he is at best right now at the moment the number five outfielder um, in this organization, right? So Gardner, Ellsbury, sorry, the number six outfielder, Gardner, Ellsbury, Hicks, Judge, Frazier, right. and then Jake Cave, maybe? I, I mean, I don't even know if there's anyone else in there. Tyler Wade or someone that, you know, could also kind of be yeah, there. Yeah, Tyler Wade and Tyler Austin can play the outfield as well. Um, so. I'm less... I have less confidence in Tyler Austin than you do there. Right. I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to run Austin out there, but he can fake it, I guess, in right field if you really had to. And I th- and he might be higher on the priority list than, than Cave, right? So if Aaron Judge gets injured and then Brett Gardner gets injured and then Clint Frazier gets injured and then Tyler Wade gets injured, then maybe you call up, uh, maybe then you call up Jake Cave. I don't know. I mean, the only really thing that he has going for him over these guys is he's a left-handed hitter, um, which the Yankees, you know, might, probably need um so maybe that's kind of what they're thinking but yeah i i i think i can see where rumbelow fits in right has really good spring training becomes the jonathan holder of last year except he is good when he plays in the major leagues right that, that's totally possible um but i just don't see that i don't see the path for jk anytime soon um and the 40 man is so so busy that I, I think you start cutting him i think there's a lot of guys in the 40 man right now that you start thinking about cutting right ronald herrera I think is an interesting case to cut. I think Luis Sessa is gone. I think I think Chase and Shreve. You think about actually he is gone. I think Chase and Shreve. Um, I think Brian Mitchell. You think about cutting. Yeah, Mitchell. You know, yeah, you know, and and even like a Jonathan Holder or someone like that. I mean, you're at the point where you just kind of have to decide who you think is going to yeah. be better. I think Garrett, I, don't, I think Garrett Cooper is one other guy too. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, he's he's toast. Yeah. He's packing his bags already. Um, Eric Eric Kratz packed his bags a month and a half ago. Uh, Garrett Cooper is packing his bags now, I think. Um, but these are valuable players. Like I would love to have Garrett Cooper as a bench. But I mean, God forbid something happens to Greg Bird again. You know, Garrett Cooper was like the next guy after Greg Bird this season. Um, so yeah, so I mean, that's 
that that's something I think to keep keep an eye on with the forty man roster. We'll get more news about that before the Rule Five draft or the winter meetings. So I don't know when the deadline is to add guys before the Rule Five draft, but it's not for a November while. November twentieth is the deadline. So we have, we have a couple more weeks. Yeah, so, yeah, so we can know what's going on by then. We can know if Sabathia is back on the team. We can know if Shohei Otani's on the team by then. Who now knows? it is possible that Sabathia wouldn't be re-signed until after the winter meetings, and that buys him a spot. So here's the problem. So um, you prefer to have a player exposed to the Rule 5 draft then put through waivers. So let's say you like, instead of like, if you waited to sign Sabathia until after the Rule 5 draft and then you added like someone that you kind of like in, in his place, in order to add Sabathia, you have to put another player through waivers, which means that any team can have him, put him on their 40 man, stick him in the minors, um, as opposed to the Rule 5 draft where they have to put him on their 25 man for the entire season. Correct. And keep them all yeah. season. And right. so, and so, um, are you, that, that strategy does, that, that doesn't work. It's designed not to work that way. Um, but I do know that, you know, that there are like times that people like to put players through waivers because lots of people have kind of crunched rosters and don't have those open spots. And so I think that's kind of a more likely thing that you wait to sign Sabathia until, you know, X time and then put a guy through waivers and hope that like everybody's like eating Christmas dinner or something. Um, thank you everybody for listening. Derek and Paul, thank you for joining me. This has been your It's About the Money podcast. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.